Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Business Aspirin, pain relief for business. Clint Junelle has managed a restoration company in Dallas since 2008 and is one of the top drying experts in his region. Clint is also the co-founder of JobDocs, a software developed to help his team manage their overwhelming volume of projects. On the podcast, Clint brings together business managers and leaders to share with you how they have overcome their business pains and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Clint Junell. Hey, everybody. Good morning and welcome to Business Aspirin. I'm your host, Clint Janelle, and today I have with me Aaron Provencal. Did I say that right? Provencal. Provencal. I keep messing that up, man. I apologize. Uh, With Custom Restoration out of California. And so Aaron has been in the restoration space for quite a while, since probably he was 11, maybe something like that, based on his Uh, history. About 16, 17. (laughs) There we go. I was close, right? At this point (laughs) in our lives, Aaron, it's close enough, right? 11, 16, so long ago, we can't even remember for that matter. Um, But Aaron, let's talk a little bit about uh, you. Let's talk about your journey and and kind of how you got into the space and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. So um, I was about 15 when I started uh, cleaning carpets for a company. So I was just a a helper pulling hoses um, summertimes on the weekends after school and just trying to make a buck when I was younger. So that's where I all started. Um, when I was about uh, six, 17, I think, I started with uh, five-star restoration. So it was a husband and wife that just had a carpet cleaning business out of their home. I was their first employee. So they wanted to get into the restoration side of things. So um, I took over the carpet cleaning routes and the uh, husband, he went out marketing to insurance agencies to try to get into the restoration field. So um, that was kind of our first step in the door. Um, we didn't do any repairs or anything. It was just pretty much sucking water after someone's had a water damage and then setting up drying equipment to get things dried out. So the equipment back then wasn't as advanced as it is today. But uh, yeah, we did that was, the job. That was mid-90s, right? All that yeah. was happening? Yeah. So that then led to the mold industry in 2000. Yeah. <laughs> right. We were all part of that. Right. We didn't do things as well as we should have. And technology wasn't as great as it should have. We all learned. Yeah. So that's awesome. OK. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So from there, yeah, the mold industry did take off. Um, we started growing quite a bit, did a lot of uh, contents cleaning for mold. Uh, we did a lot of a lot of mold cleanup here, there and everywhere. So that kept us very busy. Uh, we grew the company to I think we had about five employees at that point. And we had some temp staff as well. And uh, the husband and wife that had been working for let me know one day that they were selling the company. They were getting a divorce and they had a buyer already. So I was kind of bummed about that because I always had dreams of owning the business eventually someday and taking it over. Um, but uh, the new owner came in. Um, myself and the ex-wife stayed on working for him. <clears throat> so we... We were uh, working with him for about four years or so, and he um, 
at one point he just kind of lost interest in the company, but he had grown it quite a bit. Uh, we were up to, I think, close to 20 employees doing about $3 million a year. And um, he sold it back to myself and the um, ex-wife of the previous owner. Okay. And that's where you are today. Yeah. So um, that was about uh, 16 years ago that we uh, bought the company from him. And then we grew it. We took it from that $3 million company to uh, last year, we did uh, about $21 million in revenue. And we've got about 130 employees currently, but sold the company, actually sold the company to custom about a year and a half ago. So we went from five-star restoration. We're still transitioning over to the custom uh, brand. So, yeah, that took place um, January 1 of 2022. Perfect. Well, congrats. So the beautiful thing is, so let's tell everybody where you're at. What part of California are you in, Aaron? So we're in Northern California. So um, we've got an office in the Sacramento area. And then one in Fairfield, which is kind of uh, East San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. So yeah. that's where you are, where you've grown this company from sucking up water and slinging a few fans as a kid to being acquired. So like, that's a beautiful part of the story, right? In terms of uh, what America is like in the American dream. So a lot of our guys that listen to this are going to be super excited to go, no, wait a minute. So you just went to work in the industry and were a grunt for a little while and did whatever you were told to now owning and then selling out your company. In most cases, that's usually life-changing money that that takes place for. So it works out well. And then now you're helping operate that company for more growth and potentially another secondary buyout later, right? You'll be on for a while and then potentially there's another transaction that takes place and and then you ride off into the sunset uh, with your cape on and, you know, whatever happens there, right? Yeah. So that's kind of the goal. So I rolled, yeah, when uh, we were acquired, I rolled equity over into custom. So uh, now I'm a very small portion uh, owner of custom, but um, continually to help them grow the business. Um, they are a nationwide company and uh, looking to uh, grow. So yeah, sure. Coast to coast, they, they're headquartered in Florida. So we're uh, we were their first California locations, but they've got locations in Washington and Arizona and all over the nation. Sure. So when you talk about growing a business, like which you obviously did, right? You you didn't do it necessarily initially as an owner. You had an initial trajectory and started a business, got some growth. But looking back, we always look at things and go, man, I wish I'd have known that when I started. Is there a singular thing uh, or a couple of things that you could point to and go, man, if I would have known this, that would have changed trajectory and I would have been on a much different path and it would have been a lot easier or whatever the case may be. You know, I think one of the main things was when I was younger, just letting go of control of things was difficult for me. So just being able to rely on people and trust that they're going to do a good job. I mean, it may not be as great as what you think it should be, but um, you can't do everything all the time. So if you're, you're stuck in that position where you feel that if you let it go, it's not going to be done as well, you're not going to grow. So you need to let go, rely on other people, let them do what they can. It may not be as perfect as you would like it to be, but you're not going to grow unless you can let go. Yeah. And I agree wholeheartedly with that. I've even said that on a previous podcast in relationship to my father, which he then called me out on. So if he listens to this one, he'll call me out on it again. But the reality is you you can't, right? And some of us are wired so that we want everything to be perfect. 
And you've got to be in a position where honestly, nothing's ever perfect for somebody somewhere down the path. Somebody isn't happy about whatever you did, regardless of whether it's perceived perfect for 99% of the people, somebody's still not happy about it, right? Whether it's the insurance company or the customer or the customer's neighbor that's mad because you parked too close to their mail or whatever happens, right? Um, And so you've got to have a lot of trust in your team. So uh, in order to allow yourself to grow your business and work on your business and not on every job, you've got to release, relinquish, release, whatever, some parts of that journey to them. So from that perspective, then it makes hiring really important. Definitely. So we do probably a little different than most people. We we do group interviews. So we'll um, uh, bring in a candidate. They'll sit before four to five different people all at the same time. And so it's kind of a little intimidating for the candidate, but it's good to have that interaction, I think, with the entire team to make sure everybody's on board with the new hire. That way you're not just hiring someone one-on-one and then someone doesn't like them or they knew them from another company or something. We just want to make sure that everybody's on board as we bring on uh, new team members. So, sure. Yeah. Cause those, the, the people are so important. Like it's yeah. really hard to put the wrong person on a seat on your bus. If you put the right person in the right seat, you get a lot of good effect. You can have really great effective people, but they're terrible in your culture and that's detrimental. And so it's really hard to find the right people. So kudos to doing that, like as a group and, having your team buy in on the hires. Do you guys use any kind of operating system like the traction or scaling up or any of those kind of things for that type of planning? Or you guys just, you had processes on your own and you just kind of work them? Yeah, I mean, I've read numerous books. I mean, there's nothing that we specifically focus on, but yeah, just kind of things we picked up here and there, but we've um, got a great recruiting team. We actually have an outside recruiting company that we use. So they they're bringing us candidates all the time. So we're probably interviewing uh, five people per week um, on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. We're always looking for people, um, looking for the right people. So we're don't hire everybody, but we um, are continuously interviewing. That's really amazing. So then are when you're looking at people or when you're talking to the recruiting firm, are there certain things you're looking for in people or certain red flags you're trying to say, hey, like, I, I don't want this person at all? What, what, how, how does that work? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's always red flags. I mean, if people jump around from company to company, you know, they're not going to be a long-term member. I mean, we want, we want team members here that are going to stay here for a long time. The training costs and processes is very costly. So we want people to stick around. So that's, that's always a red flag if they jump around a lot, but uh, we do sit down with them and talk to them about it. There may be reasons for that. Um, uh, if they give a lot of good reasons, then we might interview their employers afterwards. So we'll have that recruiting team go back to their employers and ask them, um, and make sure their stories match up. So, uh, but yeah, if they move around a lot, we definitely dig into that because we, we want someone to stick around. Sure. So when you look at, when you're trying to look at people, are you more inclined to be concerned about character and trait of person or certification of person? Uh, yes and no. I mean, we, we want people that are going to be easy to train. Um, if they've got some experience, it's great. So you're not starting over from ground zero. But if they've got the great personality, they're going to get along with the team. They seem like a good fit. I mean, that's the main thing we're looking for when we hire. So we want okay. someone to fit our culture um, and grow with us. So we want someone that's going to uh, fit in with the team and 
flourish with the team. Sure. So if, if somebody listening to this is you know, trying to grow even a restoration business on hiring people, what is your advice? What, what nugget would you give them? Yeah, I mean, definitely focus on uh, personality traits and if they fit your culture. I mean, that is the, the main thing. Everybody can be taught how to do something. Um, if they've got experience, uh, sometimes it's quicker on the training side, but if they're not a good fit, I mean, it's going to bring down the entire team. Sure. You don't want to bring cancer into your company. Sure. Um, and if they do seem to be cancerous, you want to make sure to get them out as soon as possible because they can cause a lot of damage in your company. Oh, for sure. And the funny thing about that is, like, I've read several books and I've experienced this personally, that there are times where it seems like it's going to be too painful to terminate someone. But the reality is it's a whole lot more painful to keep them than it is to actually terminate them, right? Terminate them. It's going to hurt for about 48 hours. You're going to pick up the pieces. Your team's going to pick up the pieces. You're going to move on. Keeping them is painful for the next six months, four years, whatever it is you endure. So I'm, I'm all in on that one, Aaron. Like I... I've been through some of that and I've learned it makes a lot of sense to, to fire quickly too, right? Like remove someone quickly. Definitely. Yeah. You know, our reconstruction project managers, I mean, they're, they're overloaded and to remove one of them, it's going to put stress on the rest of the team. So it's, it's tough when you have to do something like that. We have to get rid of a a project manager because they've got 15, 20 jobs going on. And now you're going to transfer that to the rest of the team. Um, You don't think it's going to be possible because they're carrying this load, but right. it, it always works out. I mean, they do, they do make it happen and get it done. And the whole team will appreciate it. If you keep that person in the position, they're not performing. It drags on everybody else. It makes them slower. I mean, it, it drags on the team and you don't realize that until you get that person out of there. Mm-hmm. And then everything improves. And it's amazing. Like it's yeah. unbelievable. Like I would, if you guys are listening to this, like really pay attention to what he's saying here, because the truth is, like have the right people don't deal with the minutiae of someone that's cancerous to your organization because it's bringing everything down. And like, that's beautiful info, Aaron, for sure. So what is one mistake that you guys have made or that you see made in this space in growing a business that it's hard to fix? I think bringing on the wrong individual that can damage your reputation. Reputation goes a long way in this industry. So making sure like a business development person, you don't bring on someone that's got a bad reputation in the industry. I mean, it's sure. going to it drive you down. So sure. I think Perfect. perception of the reputation is goal. So we've, we've always carried a great reputation throughout the years. And um, I think just making sure to keep those people out of your company that are going to uh, drag your reputation down is key. Yeah. And then support the ones that you bring in that are good, right? Give them tools. Well, so let's be like, we keep going back to, Hiring well, right? Good culture, all of that. And I love it. What's the what's the best decision you think you've made in business? Let's see. That's a tough one. Um, I guess it would just be hiring good people. Um, I think our team is phenomenal. Um, we wouldn't be where we're at today without them. So I guess it goes back to bringing on the right team members. Again. Sure. Um, I think that's what's going to make your company uh, do well. Um, is bringing on the right team members. So um, I can't uh, specifically point to anything else, but- uh, Sure, no, that's great, right? So for us, we talk often about if we could clone a couple of people, who would it be? And we talk about this as our team, like who would we clone and why? What trait do they have that we like about them 
that puts them in a position that if we could get, if we could just keep multiplying that those traits from those people, we could just dominate everything. Then yeah. what is that, right? Because then that leads to understanding who your culture is. It leads to your team going, okay, that trait is good and valuable. And I like that trait. And some people have that trait. They just don't express it well. But if you start talking about, hey, we love the fact that they're willing to be gritty and get in there and do whatever needs to happen. Um, or then other people go, I'm willing to do that. And so it builds a better culture and you get more buy-in from your team as a whole. So I love that, man. I love it. Um, yeah, we try to do a, like a, an employee of the month. And so we what we do is we have all the employees vote on them. So they put their name in a bucket and explain why they're uh, recommending them for employee of the month. And then we go through that employee of the month, whoever's got the most, and then we read off the qualities that they have. So um, I think that's important to build the team as well, because they they see those qualities that that person got to get to that employee of the month. And that's going to move them to strive to get to that. So, yeah. you know, so when when you do that, everybody writes down the name and then why? Like a quality that they like about them as to why. So then those qualities that were written down about them by their team is all read out loud. Yep. That's awesome. It's announced in front of the entire team. That way they can see the reason they, that they yeah. got that nomination. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I like that idea. We have some of our guys that talk about that and we brought them on as guests. And so I own a software company too. So I help a lot of restoration companies uh, with project management software as as another line of what I do. And so I get to have conversations with guys about some of this stuff regularly. And a lot of it's like, hey man, what do you guys do for commission or bonus structure or for employee rewards and some of that? And so there's some of that like similar to that that comes out, but I like the idea of, writing, having every person vote and write out and then what the trait is. And then, you know, whoever gets the most, you know, be able to do that. Now, some of the guys listening to this are going to have three employees. So you're going to just have this cycle of, (laughs) you know, a couple of people go through, which is great, but it's still a part of building that process and culture into what's going on. So maybe right now, make it once a quarter, an employee of the quarter um, or, and, and just kind of build that out. And then you, you know, give them a little bit of something. What's the do they get something? Do your guys get something as a result of being employee of the month besides just, hey, congrats, this is who you are? Or? Yeah, they, we usually give them like a $200 gift card to something. Um, so, yeah. They're, That's they're great, company. man. That's awesome. I love it. What yeah. are some of – go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, speaking on uh, bonus structures, yeah, we've got a little bo- different bonus structure than most companies. So I might okay. touch on that real quick. Um, it's not um, – uh, driven per employee it's kind of as the business as a whole so we've we've always wanted everybody to work towards the same goal uh as company profitability so the bonus structure that we set up is um 10 of all the net earnings go back to all the employees and it gets split up evenly doesn't matter if you're the water damage technician sucking water out in the field or you're a manager everybody gets the same bonus at the end of the year so 10% of the, the net earnings go back to all the employees, all equally. So depending on how well we do that year, everybody gets the bonus accordingly. That's amazing. I like that idea, though. Um, so there's it's, it forces everything. Like, that helps with the culture. When you talk, talk about good people, everybody wants to make sure that they're ha- helping others succeed because it's not just about them. So in in so many instances, you can be subversive to someone else because your bonus isn't contingent upon how well they do. And that's detrimental to the company. But in this environment, everybody is buying in on the company succeeding and everyone in the company succeeding because that 
serves them too. That's pretty great. I like that idea, Aaron. That's pretty awesome. I'm going to let you take credit for that. Even if it wasn't yours, don't tell me. We'll just want to talk about that. It's awesome. I love it. What are some of the biggest pains that you've experienced in business? And then how did you, how did you get over it? Like, what did you do? Yeah, you know, I guess probably job management software, you know, getting it implemented. So it's a necessary evil. I mean, it, it's tough to do. I remember going to the transition. I mean, we we had Excel spreadsheets and things that we set up for our uh, jobs. But, you know, when we get to a certain size, you're going to need to capture all the data and doing spreadsheets isn't going to work. So getting it implemented probably earlier than later, I think is more beneficial. That way you can make sure to train people when they come on board. And this is the process that we do. And there's no question. Once you get to a certain point and you're trying to force it on everybody at the same time, it's difficult. So I would say uh, probably the earlier, the better to get into a job management software um, we used a, a program for years, um, and then when we were acquired by custom, we had to change job processing and software. So that was a, a difficult transition for the team sure. because we've got a uh, hundred people using uh, a platform and then having to retrain yeah. on a brand new platform. It was was not easy. So sure, uh, that's probably one of the when, most difficult things for us. Is- when you first adopted a platform, how how many people? How big were you? Um, we were, I would say, 30 employees. Yeah, that's a lot. Dude. That's um, hard. Yeah, so uh, that's why I was saying it. I think we did it a little too late. Um, yeah. I think if we had gotten something in place a little earlier on, uh, it would have been more beneficial. Sure. Yeah, so when we like we built Job Docs, um, it was primarily because I wasn't smart enough to run a restoration company. And so there were too many things going on. And as a result... I was having to have meetings at least once a week, sometimes more than that with my team to go, okay, where are we out on this project? Do we need to get a first draw check? Do we need to get a second draw check? Where are we out on the mitigation? Did we bill for contents? Did we do contents? You know, like just all these different things that had to go on to kind of navigate that. And like, I don't know for sure, but I would bet there were a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year at the time that of work that we had completed and paid our employees and or vendors to complete and then didn't even bill for it because it just slipped through the cracks. So in that case, it's, you know, a half a million dollar swing because $250,000 we didn't bill for and we paid for all the work to be done. Like, oh my gosh. And so that's the reason we even put the product together is because stuff was slipping through the cracks and we were having problems. And at that point we were eight people probably that we were utilizing the software on. And it was great to be able to kind of solve a lot of those problems. But to your point, I mean, it's tough to make that transition if you're not using anything. And honestly, my I think my threshold as I talk to our clients that we onboard is probably a million bucks. If you're doing a million in revenue, you can't keep all that in your head anymore. Yeah, It's just too hard. Like, but that's what I did initially was like, okay, we're running a couple hundred jobs a year and I can keep it all in my head and know what's going on and kind of navigate through it but there's still stuff that just slipped and not entire jobs, but parts of jobs where it's like, Oh, well, we packed those contents out, but we didn't bill for packing contents out at all. Or we didn't bill for cleaning the contents at all. We just forgot about that part because we have too many things going on and not enough systems in place to help that. So, um, I mean, I love that you mentioned that because that yeah. is spectacular in regards to my experience. Right. And so I'm full on in on that. Yeah, I mean, we were utilizing spreadsheets and doing our job costing on spreadsheets. So, I mean, 
having something in place where you're not having to do all that manual work is uh, ideal. So, well, then you can utilize staff for other things, right? Um, and, and there are times like you've probably experienced some of this with other platforms that it requires you hiring someone to manage your project management system. And that's a little strange to me too, right? I, I don't think it should be built so that you have to hire someone just to manage that process where if everybody just kind of natively did their job and that's what we tried to do now, whether we did that spectacularly or not, who knows, right? Depends on what you ask our customers. Like we think it worked okay, but you know, it's just a different process to do that. Uh, so right now, what's your biggest challenge? Right now, labor is probably the biggest challenge. I mean, we're always looking to hire. Um, we're continually growing and just bringing on uh, new team members is probably our bigger biggest challenge. Um, I think the construction industry is slowing down a little bit. So it, it's uh, we've had more candidates coming through. So that's a good sign, but we'll see if it yeah. slows down more. I think it'd be a little bit better for us uh, as far yeah. as getting contractors, tradespeople, they'll be able to get our projects done quicker. Sure. Well, the market's just weird. I'm not sure why that just rang because my fingers turned off. So I apologize for that. But it's it's strange. I really kind of throughout the country, right? I, I mean, you probably get some of this experience now being part of custom and talking to some of those other guys. But the clients that we have that we talk to nationally and other restoration guys that I deal with and talk to in groups and you know just phone calls and conversations, it's just there's less people that want to work. And there are less people that are going into trades because the percep- perception is I can make a billion dollars a year showing my face on social media and dancing and whatever, you know, whatever they need to do. And so like, why would you want to actually go really work if you can, you know, get rich sitting at a computer and playing on social media? So it's fair, but like we, as a result, the, the entire services industry is suffering a little bit because there's not enough people that want to go do that. Uh, in order for us to serve you, we're going to have to have people that can help do that. And so I get it. That's definitely a challenge for us. I think it seems to be a challenge really kind of throughout the country um, with everyone that is in the services industry. So yeah, I think it's all sure. get worse too. I mean, yeah, like you were yeah. saying, kids are not interested in the trade. So we, uh, we go to the colleges here. Um, we've got a program where we go actually go out and do presentations mm-hmm. at the colleges for kids just to kind of encourage them to go towards the trades because um, I mean, with the lack of trades is, people get older and retire, we're going to have less and less of those individuals. Their wages are going to be astronomical compared to, uh, I mean, they're going to be paid like lawyers. I bet. I yeah. mean, it's going to yeah, be. Sure. It's going to get there. Gonna, yeah. So let's, be- let's talk about that. So you go to the colleges, like, where do you go? Who do you talk to? What is this process? Is this part of a, you know, job fair or like, tell me what's going on. So maybe some of our guys can go, Hey, that's a good idea. I'm going to go try that. So we've got a local uh, building industry association. Um, so I met up with one of their key members. They they put together presentations for the colleges. So they, they're always reaching out to me and say, hey, could you do a presentation on this day? So I get uh, one or two of our team members. We go out and do a presentation for them. Just kind of explain to them what we do, our process, what we offer to people, our hiring process, kind of give them uh, something that they could use to benefit them um, in the future. If they do decide to go into the trades, we can help them give them pointers and they, they can ask questions. And um, it's, it's, it's a really good thing. So we're usually only there for about an hour or so sure. just do a quick presentation, answer questions and uh, give them tips on how to interview. 
I mean, yeah. any any little bit helps them. So. Yeah. Well, man, I, like I think this has all been great. Um, I work close to noon at this point. I know you got some things to do and kind of committed to being on a 30 minute call here with you. And um, man, I certainly appreciate it. Is there, is there anything else like we've talked a lot about a lot of different things, but a lot of it has pointed back to hiring well and having a good team and a good culture. Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think is important to share with an entrepreneur out there trying to trying to be where you were? Well, if you're in the restoration industry, they've got a lot of different things out there to benefit you. One of them that I've really found that's benefited us really well, everyone loses drying equipment um, as you go through the years. Um, so we found a, um, a product that you don't have takes a human element out of, out of tracking equipment. So there's a, a company out of Canada called Nero and they've got a GPS tracking and then they've got asset tracking. So they've got beacons that sit in the vehicles. It tracks when the equipment goes on and then wherever it gets pulled off, it, it tags it to that location. So we've recovered a lot of equipment over the years that we haven't been, that usually just get lost. So sure. um, people, guys forget them in the crawl space or something mm-hmm. and, uh, the homeowner never tells you that the equipment was left when they find it. But having a system like that where you can actually go back and say, hey, this has been out there for a month. What's going on? You can go back to the address and recover some of your equipment. So yeah. if you got a equipment uh, running away, it's a, a great thing to check out. Um, you don't have to scan anything. You don't have any barcodes, nothing like that. So it's just a really quick out of sight, out of mind process. Sure. Check it out. And at, and at $400 a fan and $2,500 a DHU, that stuff disappears. It gets pretty pricey if you're losing it. And if you're big enough, like what's the threshold where you think that starts to matter? You know, I mean, we always use paper. So we track it on a piece of paper, but relying on technicians to fill it out properly and make sure the equipment gets picked up properly. I mean, once you get probably five trucks going in different directions, you're not going to be able to keep track of all that equipment. So I would recommend, yeah, probably four or five trucks. Then probably want to get something like that. Yeah. And there are a couple of companies out there that do that. Right. So like definitely take a look. I appreciate that. And I think that applies in a lot of different aspects too. If you're a landscaper for that matter, and you've got mowers and weed eaters and chainsaws and all the things that you would have that way, then that could be a difference too. Um, So that's, I think that's a good piece of advice. What else? Is that it? I think that's it. Yeah. Dude, I think I think it was great, man. I had a great time. I'm really glad that I had you on, Aaron. And uh, I appreciate you being here and being part of Business Aspirin. Everybody for listening uh, to this podcast. We really appreciate you listening to what we have to say. I think this is a great one uh, with Aaron. And man, I appreciate you being on. This has been a Business Aspirin, pain relief for business podcast. If you're a business owner trying to overcome your business pains, Follow us on Apple Podcasts or visit our website for more information, job-docs.com.